When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to It Never Rains on this podcast. I'm Hithliday. I'm the managing editor for Addicted to Quack. It's a website. Joining this week is one of the great ATQ writers, uh, Kevin Phipps. How you doing? Doing very good. How are you? Uh, not bad. So uh, you have been covering the volleyball team. Uh, they have returned triumphant um, from the Pittsburgh swing um, where uh, they took on Number eight, Pittsburgh, uh, the hosts of the tournament, uh, uh, in addition to James Madison. And then on the way back home, they stopped over in Marquette uh, in Minnesota and just decided to thrash them while I guess the plane was fueling up. Um, <laughs> it, 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 it wasn't part of the tournament. It was just like a stopover on the way back home. They're like, ah, we'll stretch our legs and uh, beat the crap out of the local team because that's what the Ducks do now. Um, <laughs> hey, look, uh, those kids are playing volleyball. Let's go play with them. <laughs> Yeah, um, actually, the biggest resistance they got a, 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 of the of the trip was JMU, um, uh, who who like uh, uh, fought them a bit. Like I, they 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 were on the verge of um, of taking the lead in the match before the Ducks like totally shut them down. But the highlight, of course, was the uh, was the tournament host uh, uh, Pittsburgh, um, the number eight seed, uh, and of course, you know, with home court uh, advantage. Um, uh, it, it was a real battle. It absolutely was. Um, you know, going into Pittsburgh is not a, an easy an easy win by any stretch of the imagination. Actually, they the Ducks toppled a fourteen match home win streak for the Panthers. So, oh yeah, yeah. So, but you know, they came out strong. They actually won the first two sets, um, and then had to hold off a, a, the, a rally. The first one went to the. The volleyball equivalent of overtime, yeah. though it, it's it's first to twenty five, but you got to win by two, and they they didn't, so it, they had to win it twenty six to twenty four. Correct. Um, and then they, they took the next set pretty easily, twenty five seventeen, and it, it looked like things were in hand. And then uh, then Pittsburgh rallied, forced a fifth set. They um, really rallied too. I mean, yeah, they, yeah. Pitts, Pittsburgh won the next two, like. Uh, uh, you know, pretty cleanly, like seven points and then five points, you know, in, in sets three and four. So it's like, yeah, they really battled back um, uh, to make it a match. Um, and, and like, that's a good team with like a really strong defense, you know, defense. Um, and like you said, like really strong home court advantage. Yeah. And it, it took some pretty impressive performances by the Ducks to, to hold them off. Uh, Morgan Lewis, you know, career high, 19 kills and matched a career best with six blocks, mm -hmm. um, you know, included three of the final five points and the decisive kill that put it away. So and this was actually their third win over a ranked team that, so far this season. So, yeah. Yeah. No, you know, looking really good. Yeah. So they they forced the you know, that the, the, the pit pit forced the the fifth match but Oregon prevailed 15 to 13 in, in the or in the final set to win the match I should say um uh yeah I mean just a lot of individual accolades too yeah Mimi Mimi Lewis uh as you wrote about in your article um uh had as many kills uh uh, uh or Mimi Collier had as many kills as <laughs> Lewis did yeah sorry uh, um and uh and set a new career high in aces um uh, Hannah Pukas, like, uh, can't, you know, who you can't stop talking about, uh, uh, 45 assists, like, holy crap. <laughs> and 20 digs. Uh, yeah. Her fifth double-double just this year. So she yeah. is tearing it up. And Georgia Murphy, the libero, also got a double-double. Yes, uh, like, 13 digs, 10 assists. Which, like, I mean, I mean, like, Look, man, I think the libero's job is to get, you know, assists and, and to get, you know, and to get digs like she's a little lower to the ground. That's what you get. You know, that's what the liberos do. They're a little shorter. But like, 
yeah, man, like she's really good. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they also, I mean, it, we also had some really good defensive performances. Uh, Carrie McGee, six blocks, um, you know, and then Pukas also uh, on the defensive side and Neil each, uh, Colby Neal each adding five blocks. So, yeah, just uh, an all around just performances across the board and, <laughs> and held off the, the comeback by uh, yeah. Pittsburgh. I was, um, uh, you know, I wasn't able to, to, to catch this game live because I didn't get the network it was airing on, which like frustrated me. Um, uh, but I, you know, I was, I was following the team's Twitter feed, you know, just to watch the videos and like that, this is, I, I think, you know, the first team that, uh, Oregon's played all year where like they didn't have a like super dominant size advantage you know, or wasn't like, you know, cause they, they, they played a, a Penn state, you know, or, or, you know, they played some of the, the big 10 teams where like, they're sort of comparable in size. Um, but like Pitt was like, that's a big team, you know? And, and, uh, and yet like Oregon still struck me as like a, the more athletic team, you know, you know, for, from the highlights that I was watching, like it's sort of, man, I really like. I really like this team. Like, I really like their chances to go pretty far because, you know, the, their combination of size and athleticism and, and just like, and depth, you know, like it's not, it's not a team that's built around like a, a single player who's dominant. Like, I mean, they have some dominant players, but I mean, they have a lot of them, you know? Uh, yeah. Uh, you, you know, this is like must watch television and they got to start getting on TV that I can watch, you know, like I don't understand how this is like locked up behind, you know, networks that nobody is getting like this is in, you know, some really incredible stuff. Um, and uh, I don't know they like, I, I don't really understand what was going on in the James Madison game. Cause like, it's not like that's a ranked opponent or anything, but like, yeah, James Madison kind of took it to him. Um, you know, uh, Oregon walked away with the first set, but then, um, but but then James Madison battled back and and won the next two to take the lead. Um, uh, you know, uh, uh, Oregon was down um, one set to two uh, after three. Uh, any clue what that was about, Kevin? Uh, you know, it. I think maybe they were tired. You know, mm. we, if you watched the uh, you know the Pittsburgh game or you watched some of those highlights, and then you watch those early sets against James Madison they didn't seem to be playing with the same, I don't know, pep. I don't know mm. if it was playing down to competition or if it was uh, uh, just fatigue because they've been on the road for the past eight weeks. Um, but that, that was what I saw just, just in the first set and a little less so in the second set. And then they kind of, they came back alive Um well, yeah, the fourth set is just ridiculous. Like they yeah, the they win twenty five to eight, which is just like, yeah, yeah, it was like, oh, okay, I guess we'll stop booling around. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and then the fifth set they put away pretty clean, fifteen to ten. You know, it's just like, okay, no more of this. You know, um, they brought up one of the freshmen actually in that game, Kate Thibault, um, who's who played pretty well, um, and. Uh, uh yeah you know ultimately i don't know they're sort of like fooling around a, a, a bit like uh, you know who knows but um you, you know it was interesting is, is basically uh, other than you know dropping that series in, during the big 10 you know challenge it's the, it's the only time they've trailed like the entire season it's the only time they've trailed um in a match uh is that that one set you know and then they promptly in the and then they pro they're like this is the only time we trailed so now to win 25 to 8 and and actually like they never trailed in that loss like it was a tie and then they lost the tiebreaker like um this is the first time ever that they had trailed and it lasted for all of you know one set Until they played the next set yes. <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> which they won 25 to 8 so yeah like, okay yeah. Uh, that's yeah, not gonna last for long. You know, and uh, you know, Collier really came alive in those last two sets. I mean, she finished with 20 kills, 10 of which were in those last two sets. Um, so they they got fired up, and and that was that might have been what it took was hey, we're actually behind, and this is new. Uh, so it, it was nice to see him, you know, rally back and just get 
I don't know. I think they got I think they got mad. I think that was a big part. They got mad mostly at themselves, uh, but they got mad and yeah. came out swinging. You're you're never so mad as when you're mad at yourself. Um, yeah. They uh, uh, and then, like I said, like not part of the tournament, just like on the way back from <laughs> the East Coast, they stopped in Minnesota, fueled up the plane, got out to stretch their legs and smashed Marquette. Uh, you know, they won that, you know, three to zero and shut it down. Um um and and wasn't particularly close you know they won the first set like 25 to 16 and and sort of like it was all downhill from there um and and, and then hop back on the plane now it's up to you know now conference play starts uh they open with oregon state um friday yeah uh you know or- oregon state is five and five um they they have not you know, and they're five and five, and they have not been playing the schedule at a conference that Oregon has been playing. Um, you know, they, they haven't played any Power Five team, or no, they played one, uh, Oklahoma, who they beat three uh, zero. Maybe Oklahoma sucks. Uh, um, but uh, you know, they, they've lost to uh, Cal Baptist. They've lost to Portland State uh, twice. Uh, go Vikes. Uh, <laughs> they lost to uh, Kennesaw State. Go Owls! Uh, they lost to Montana State. Uh, uh, they're not. They're they're the Bobcats. Uh, yep. Yeah. So uh, that you know, that looks like that's uh, going to be fun home opener uh, uh, in Matthew Knight Arena in Eugene, Oregon, uh, on September twenty second at seven p.m that will be televised on the pac-12 networks which everybody gets right that's uh <laughs> widely accessible that's yeah. definitely uh, not a problem for people to access i guess uh oregon state of all people should know <laughs> that's been a problem uh, and, right. and it's also interesting that um this may you know with conference realignment which may or may not affect volleyball because different sports sometimes are in different different conferences that's um, true that is one open and close conference play with oregon state yeah they they do that sometimes in different sports uh yeah um so yeah that's that, that's a sweet little gig um yeah so uh hey hey that's fun go out and support the team um <laughs> watch them smash the thieves uh all right uh let's take a break uh, when we come back, we will uh, we'll talk about uh, some some more uh, fun uh, football realignment uh, in conferences. So, Kevin, you uh, decided to uh, wheedle your way into this one. I'm not really sure how you managed to do this, but you scheduled your way into writing an article by getting on this podcast. Um, good, good work. Uh, hey, you know. Sometimes it takes a little trickery and devices. They say they say the, the way to somebody's heart is through their stomach. Apparently, the, the way to get on the publishing schedule is to get on the podcast. Um, <laughs> I shouldn't be playing favors like that. But uh, so you have this idea for an article which you're going to write next week, um, which is about um, the the way that changing conferences is going to change um, uh, like football record leaders, right? Correct. I, it was something that kind of occurred to me uh, when the realignment happened. And I remember some of the uh, the teams that came in when we went from the Pac-10 to the Pac-12, uh, mm-hmm. Colorado and Utah, you know, they had their school records um, that they had set from before joining the Pac-10, now Pac-12. And they did, those records didn't come with them. Um, those records have since you know, been smashed in the intervening years. So it wouldn't have mattered anyways, but I, I started thinking about, you know, with USC, Washington, UCLA, and Oregon moving to the Big Ten, how would some of those school records stack up against the Big Ten conference records? Uh, so I, I've been doing some some deep dive and, and looking at, you know, single season career uh, and even some of the single game records because, you know, everybody loves that Kenyon burner almost 400 yards against USC from <laughs> a couple years back. Um, but, you know, just to, to throw out a couple ones, uh, you know, Royce Freeman, career rushing leader in the Pac-12, uh, would be in third place in the Big Ten. 
they do like running the ball in the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. Uh, w- what about throwing the ball though? Uh, so let me let me get down to it. So uh, this is where it gets kind of funny because you you don't traditionally think of the Big Ten as a passing team, but uh, then you had Dwayne Haskins in the 2018 season mm-hmm. and C.J. Stroud in 2021 that you know kind of lit it up and, and set some really impressive numbers in the Big Ten. Um, you know, 4,831 yards for Haskins would be good enough for third place in the Pac-12. Hmm. Yeah, I I sort of imagine. I mean, that's definitely what I discovered when I was doing my Big Ten charting project that, you know, that I started back in in 2022 was that it's like there's a bunch of teams that are Big Ten teams. And then there's Ohio State, which is like Ohio State's like not a Big Ten team. It's like it's like oh man it's getting late at night and i'm coming with some some like loopy metaphors here it's like there are a lot of people who believe that like that that like fungi are not of planet earth because they're so weird you know it's like this like this alien that's like on planet it's like oh it's outside of the ecosystem it's not true like they obviously share a bunch of but anyway it's like ohio state is just like transplant into the big 10 it's you know it's like all these other teams that are very similar to each other and then big 10 is like yeah it's like this pac-12 team or this sec team that got like transplanted to the big 10 and it's like yeah i have a feeling that like there's a whole bunch of offensive records that it's like it's like 12 different Ohio state players. And then like maybe a Michigan dude, you know, or like a Minnesota dude from way back in the day. Like, is that how it goes? You'd actually be surprised the way some of these, these records uh, match uh, map out. You're not wrong. You know, passing touchdowns, Ohio state just has this lockdown in most of the top 10, Uh, but it's not the Wisconsin's and the Penn state's it's actually Purdue. Purdue has, produced a lot of the you know old drew breeze was, mm. was pretty good i don't know mm. if you're familiar with him um, is he an elite quarterback you know 36 <laughs> passing touchdowns in a season hmm. not terrible but it, it's it's interesting because you know as i've been kind of doing this research finding how people match up across conferences the the one that i i left my my took us off uh curtis painter also from purdue Big 10 career passing yards leader, you know, 11,000 career passing yards, 2005, 2008, not even top 10 in the Pac-12. <laughs> like, no, I think he comes in at like 12 or 13. And then behind him, only 200 yards behind him, Adam Weber from Minnesota, uh, not in the top 15. Wow. So, <laughs> Yeah, like if a Minnesota quarterback is your – career passing yards like second place (laughs) like it sort of indicates i mean the interesting thing about career like absolutes is that like it rewards guys who don't go to the nfl early so Mm -hmm. it's there that's always kind of weird because it's you know like guys who have four or even five year careers they exist in this sort of liminal space where they're they're good enough to play that long, but they're not quite good enough to go pro. Um, you sort of, I notice that all the time, you know, in, in, in my player databases, like uh, there are where teams that are like, th- there's, there's kind of, um, th- there's like it, it team, like I maintain a team talent database and it looks like a W um, where it's like the, the, the worst teams have no talent. And then, the, you know, the best teams have, you know, tons of talent. And but then there's sort of like teams that are in between where it's like um, you've got you, you don't really have a lot of talent, but you have some. And it's an it, it's enough so that, you know, you're a well-run team and but they don't all go to the NFL. And so they're like they're all like fifth year seniors and like. Ooh, those teams, you know, t- t- tend to like set records and they're like a pain in the butt to play. But then like just over that hump is it's like the uncanny valley just over that hump is kind of a curse to be in where you're good enough to get players who are or you recruit well enough to get players who go to the NFL like early. Mm-hmm. So you get a, you only get them for like a couple of years. Uh, 
you don't set records with them relevant to your project, right? Like they're not around long enough to set career records for anybody. Um, uh, uh, or to like do a ton of good for your school. Um, and you don't accumulate enough of them to threaten the, you know, the top teams in your league, you know, the Ohio States and, and, uh, Alabama's, et cetera, of, of whatever your league is. Uh, it's like, it's kind of a curse to get right over that hump. You know, you, you gotta, if you're a team that's on the rise, it's like, it, it you gotta like race past that hump or, or that, that, that Valley. If like you're camped out on that hump for a long time, it, it's real, and you get like a coach who's like, "We're we're going to improve our team by recruiting better." You you actually like ironically go through this phase where you you weirdly get like worse for a, a, a minute because you get players who leave for the NFL early, and but you you got to power through it because that's the right way to go. You know, you just got to keep accumulating talent, and like I've seen it, I've seen it with a bunch of teams, like. And like, I feel like your NFL, you know, or your record project is going to run into sort of the same issue where like, you're going to find a bunch of teams that are like, or a bunch of records that are set by like, oh, it's a ho-hum team that had a dude who played for six years due to, you know, whatever, you know, crazy thing. And that's what like COVID especially. Oh man, I bet you're going to find a bunch of like COVID sixth year seniors who are like, this dude had 7,000 tackles because he started tackling dudes starting, you know, in 2016. And because of the COVID extension, he got to tackle dudes for six years straight, you know? Yep. Oh, and it's it's already going to come into play. I mean, you know, Cam McCormick might get a ninth year of eligibility. Oh my god! Um, <laughs> but but one of the you know, there's some some interesting you know how do you divide these things out? Because let's let's look at Oregon State. Let's look at Bo Nix, right? Okay. Uh, right now, so far, uh, Bo Nix has eleven thousand seven hundred and thirty-seven yards. But three mm. seasons of that was with Auburn. Yes. You know, just looking at, um, you know, that that number where he's currently sitting, he'd be number five, number six on the Pac-12 career passing yards. Mm-hmm. Does he does he get? No, I mean, he, he's not he's not showing on on the uh, on the records book for that because he didn't have those passing yards in the Pac-12. Ooh, the record book only counts you. For the years that you're in the Pac-12, as far as I can tell, because you know I'm, I'm using a couple that, of different reference points. That's a curious. Pac-12's own record book does not show Bo Nix as on the career passing leaders. What about schools that change conference, like like when when Utah switched from the Mountain West or whatever conference they were in prior to the Pac Pac-12, like were players who were they were always on utah but last year they were a mountain west player and this year they're a pac-12 player did their records carry over that's going to be part two of this series all right (laughs) i'm so deep in the weeds that i mean and this is just talking about football yeah like yeah basketball you've got another whole interesting set of stuff to write about exactly we'll get into that when we get into basketball season but I mean, the the Bo Nix one is an interesting one. So you know, what, let's say he let's say he just has as good a year this year as he did last year throwing the ball. That means he's going to have another roughly three thousand yards passing this year, and that would put him firmly in first place for the career passing yards in the Pac-12, beating out hmm. Luke Falk's fourteen thousand four hundred. Washington Man, State. if you're if you're beating an air raid quarterback, uh huh. But Bo Nix got five years. Yeah, that's true. Any other surprises that you found you want to share uh, as a sneak sneak peek before you publish? Well, my my big question is, you know, is Marquise Lee now the career receiving leader in the Big Ten, even though he never played in the Big Ten? Yeah. See. <laughs> 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 so, uh, yeah, you better no, believe the Big Ten's going to claim him. Yeah, 
<laughs> well, you know USC's not going to stop claiming him. So yeah. Right. yeah. All right. Uh, let's take a break. Uh, when we come back, we will uh, preview Colorado football. So uh, my article previewing Colorado will uh, go up at around the same time this podcast will. Um, we've had three games uh, to watch them under uh, Coach Sanders' new uh, regime with his uh, almost totally brand new uh, roster. Um, it's been interesting to write about, uh, like I, you know, when I wrote my, my summer preview of them, um, <laughs> first of all, I feel like it was maybe the, the only serious article that got written about, uh, Colorado because like, you know, the, the local Colorado media, I'm not trying to knock them too much because there was a lot of longstanding and long suffering, uh, 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 folks, uh, you know, uh, there, um, a lot of whom, you know, do their job very seriously, but they sort of like got caught, you know, swept up in the like, you know, uh, um, you know, the, the, the nature of their publication was just, it was just foolish to do anything except write stories about Coach Sanders, um, you know, because they're out there trying to get, you know, uh, you know, clicks for their websites and subscribers to their newspapers. And I understand what they're trying to do. And I don't blame them. And I don't blame Coach Sanders for the way that he's running his program. I know that some people have beef with it. I don't. It totally makes sense. And he's actually put together, all things considered, a, a pretty strong roster. It's been a huge improvement on the roster that, you know, that, that he came into. Um, you know, I actually think, you know, all of this has been, you know, done about as, uh, you know, realistically speaking about as, as well as it could be done. It's just that, like, it's really hard to cut through a lot of the chatter. And um, it's but it's my job to do that. And I feel like I did in the summer and I feel like I did a fairly good job of predicting a lot of the of the strengths, but also the weaknesses. And then, you know, watching these three games, I'm just like, yeah, these were pretty much all the weaknesses that I was predicting with one or with a couple of surprises. Um, uh, but only one or two, you know, surprises. Otherwise, like, yeah, this was this was pretty much exactly the team that I was expecting to see, which is a team that's like, uh, you know, middle of the pack uh, in terms of talent. Like they've got a couple of very talented players. Um uh, otherwise like a bunch of pretty relatively average players and then a couple of like just truly weak spots which like hey that describes just about every pack 12 you know team <laughs> uh, so, um, yeah so my take of having watched colorado and i and i've rooted against colorado just because i'm sick of it dominating the news cycle about NCAA yeah. football. i mean i i understand feeling that way um but my my takeaways from watching them, and I've been watching those games. I watched all the TCU game. I watched all the Colorado State game. I did not watch the Nebraska game because, mm. I, I mean, Nebraska's kind of a terrible team, and they're mm. not fun to watch. Um, That's definitely true of their offense. Their their defense is actually not bad. Their, yeah, their defense is, is getting better. Um, but my takeaway of watching Colorado is this is a, a team with some very talented players Mm -hmm. who will capitalize on mistakes. They will oh, yeah. beat you if you give them the chance. Oh, that that's definitely a through line through everything that shows up. Like, yeah, if you, know, you read if my you article, them, you'll see that over and over again. If you give them a three-yard hole, they're going to push for that for for that fourth yard. If yeah. you give them that, you know, seven-yard route, they're going to fight for the nut, you know, the extra two yards to get nine. Yeah. But this is not a Colorado team that I am seeing take take it to an opponent. They are not imposing their will oh, yeah. on anyone. Uh, that's one hundred percent true. I guess the thing that's the thing that's difficult to how to put this quantify. No, talk the 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 reason that Colorado is a difficult team to discuss is that you're never it's difficult to gauge what different different people have extremely different expectations of what Colorado is or ought to be. 
um, I feel like there is a very wide range out there of what people think about Colorado and what they think of it or what they expect of it informs, you know, uh, like how, how you speak to them about it or, you know, or, or what, like what constitutes a good performance by them. So there's, I mean, there, so simultaneously there exist long suffering Colorado fans who are, who, who genuinely, sincerely, and without any like false, you know, there's no falsity about this at all are like, we expected to win maybe two, maybe three games this year. And, and anything that we do, right. Even any single thing that we do, right. We're popping off fireworks about. And, you know, so when you come to me, uh, and you say, this team has this flaw, this flaw, this flaw, this flaw, this flaw, and this flaw. I'm like, I, shit i know man like what do you, you know i you're you're acting like this is some great revelation i know all of that like right on the other end of the spectrum you have a, a lot of people i mean not one or two a lot of people who are like colorado to the playoffs right a <laughs> lot of people who are like colorado to the playoffs do they realize that would mean? I know, Kevin. I know, but seven there are top twenty-five wins. I know, Kevin, but there are a lot of people who are like, no joke. Who, who? Look, I don't. I'm not in a position to judge their sincerity, and frankly, there are a lot of people who I don't even think the term bandwagon fan applies to them. Like, I think it's more cynical and crass than that i think a lot of them are sort of grifters with youtube channels who just want attention um for the wrong reasons or or for reasons that i don't know that there's right and wrong but like reasons that i don't care for i guess i'll put it that way um reasons that are not the reasons that i am publishing articles i guess i'll put it that way um i i am put publishing articles because i seek to analyze i seek to cast light um, I, and, uh, and yeah, I think that there are a lot of people who are writing and publishing and putting up, you know, YouTube channels and, 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 and TikToks and so forth for reasons that are about heat rather than light. Um, and I think a lot of them don't even like, don't even count as like bandwagon or Johnny come lately fans. Cause I don't even really think they're fans like, and so for a lot of those folks who are like, uh, you know, Colorado to the playoffs, like, I don't even know how sincere that is, but there are a lot of them. And so for those folks, like you, I mean, maybe it is necessary to enumerate, hey, Colorado has this flaw and this flaw and this flaw and this flaw and this flaw. And, this flaw. and like, I don't like they are going to push back. Like I'm going to publish my article tomorrow and my inbox is going to be filled up with a bunch of people who are, who are like, you're a hater, uh, you know, and, and you've never really seriously studied this team as though I have not published like close on to seven years worth of articles on Colorado now across five different coaching staffs, you know, as though I haven't done like literally hundreds of hours on this team when no one else would, you know, <laughs> like, uh, you know, I'm not trying to toot my horn here. I'm just saying like, you know, I, I, I'm probably going to predict this game fairly accurately. I'm probably going to have, you know, people come at me um, and, and it's going to be the case that, you know, I'm going to have people coming at me who've been watching this team who call themselves fans of Colorado, who've been watching this team for less time than I have. And I'm not a Colorado fan. I mean, I'm not a, an anti fan or whatever the, that word is. What's, what's the opposite of a fan? Yeah. Or a rival or yeah. you know, I'm not a Nebraska fan. I'm not a Colorado state fan, you know, whatever. Like I, I, if anything, I, I kind of dig what this program is doing. I think it's interesting, but it's like, I'm not publishing what I'm publishing about Colorado's flaws because 
I, I love seeing them suffer. I'm publishing them because it is my job to point out the strengths and weaknesses of every team in the Pac-12 and like in those including Oregon. Yeah, including Oregon. I do this for Oregon too. Yeah, yeah. right. Um, so the, anyway. The big thing I'm hoping for, you know, and score predictions, whatever, you know, it is like the number two passing offense against the 11th worst passing defense or something to that effect. Something like that. Yeah. Like, and don't, you know, rushing offense versus rushing they're, defense is equally mismatched. Between. Yeah. It's their passing defense is actually by far the better part of their defense. Their rush defense is not good yeah. at all. Yeah. So, you know, people talk about score predictions and talent levels. And the, the main thing for me is I need this hype train to end. I, like, hmm. yeah, I, and what, what kind of bothers me is, you know, Travis Hunter got hurt last week. He's going to be out for this game. You know, if the game is in any way close, like hmm. two touchdowns or less, the storyline is going to be, well, if they have Travis Hunter, they win this game. Hmm. That that's gonna be the story. Line. I mean, if if, but that's true. It, this game shouldn't without Travis Hunter. This game should not be within two touchdowns. Like the the only way that happens is, the only way that happens is some turnovers. Yeah, like like silly stuff, you know, mm-hmm. like like really cat. But like, but then if you get to alter the timeline to to say you know, Travis Hunter comes back, then, then I get to alter the timeline and say the silly stuff goes away. There is actually one unknown, like one besides silly stuff, which, you know, you can never really predict silly stuff, you know, special teams, disasters, turnovers, you know, blah, blah. Um, there is actually one interesting unknown, which is um, uh, running back Alton McCaskill, um, who's a transfer from Houston. Um, you haven't seen him in a while. It's because he tore his ACL um, and missed the 2022 season. But he was very good in the 2021 um, season. He's a bigger back. Um, he's very accomplished. Um, but Houston ran a, a pretty different kind of offense and with a much better offensive line than this one. Um and uh, so anyway, he's missed, you know, he took all of 2022 to rehab his ACL and he's, you know, he's been out the first three games, but they finally taken the non-contact jersey off of him, and, you know, practicing this week. And by all reports, he should be returning to action, you know, against Oregon. Now, you know, will he be at full strength? Will they play him, uh, you know, at 100% of the snaps, you know, full go? I don't know. We don't know what the answers to those questions are. We also don't know, you know, is he going to be able to replicate his 2021 Houston performance, you know, at Colorado with a sort of a different type of offense and with a different, very different offensive line? We also don't know, um, you know, given that he was playing, you know, against you know american conference defenses and this will be you know different kinds of defenses we don't know how that is going to go we also don't know how well he's been able to rehab his acl you know it's not a guarantee that you return to 100 percent. we don't we don't know the the answers to those questions you know we don't know his ability to be his own blocker we don't we don't know we don't know we don't know like but like you know my job is a film my job as an analyst is as an empiricist. I could tell you what stuff we have seen um, or, and that you have forgotten because it all happened in a, like the haze and cloud of, of live action on Saturdays. And then I go back and watch the film and I chart it and categorize it and parse it and analyze it and, you know, present back to you the stuff that you already knew because it's already happened. Like uh, what I can't tell you is stuff that's unknown. And that's an unknown. Alden McCaskill may be a game changer. Um, he has the capacity, to be a game changer will he i don't know um i kind of doubt it um because you need an offensive line to be an effective running back and colorado has a bunch of very good running backs already they have um uh, edwards and hankerson and wilkerson who are all very good running backs and when they get a chance to show it to, to your the point that you were making earlier kevin um that mm-hmm. like that you know give this give this team an inch and they'll take a mile like yeah uh, give those running backs like if the blocking ever lines up or the defense ever makes a mistake and bam, they are off like a rocket. Um, you know, the issue for Colorado hadn't been their running back talent. The issue has been that the blocking is just 
bad. And there's a couple other issues. Number one, they run a read option run scheme in which the quarterback never keeps the ball, which like I understand because he only got one quarterback, you know, he can't risk his health and he's not really a runner like which I, you know, whatever. It's fine. He's not a scrambler. He's not a runner. He's not even really a scrambler. He's a, he's a, he is effective as a passer outside of the pocket, but he is not a scrambler in the sense of like a running, um, like scramble to run he is a break the pocket to pass in fact he is excellent to breaking the pocket to pass it is the most effective part of their entire football team um in fact i i the first video in my article is how effective he is in fact i broke down the stats all of their passing stats improve when he breaks the pocket it's like they might as well have Shitter Sanders being the offensive coordinator because he's better at it than Sean Lewis. I mean, not really. That's a joke. But like, yeah, them playing backyard football. And I mean, I'm I'm not joking about like I have clips in my article documenting this is not the called play like this is like they are changing the route on the fly um and it's more effective um and it's not because sean lewis is a dummy i don't think that's that at all um what i demonstrate and, and discuss why in the article um but like it's it's simply it, it it's simply the case that well the pocket protection is just so bad and um and frankly, I sort of have some beef with their wide receiver core, which is another thing that I explain in the article. Um, and then also the way that it interacts with, you know, the run game. That's that's another thing I sort of explain in the article, like their absence of a run game sc screws them in a lot of ways. Um, and they're and it all goes back to their offensive line, which is just terrible and I guess I this is tooting my own horn. This is what I said in the off season. I you know when I wrote my my preview articles, like I actually think they did a pretty good job of assembling all the different pieces that they need on offense in order to be effective, except for the offensive line, which I think is going to be catastrophe and completely undo this offense and like everything everything that i said proceeded exactly the way. And I I really don't enjoy saying this, but it. Yeah, um, look, it would just be dishonest not to say it. The one skill position area that Coach Sanders did not um, complete the job in terms of getting enough uh, playable dudes on the offense, uh, on the skill positions, you know, offensive line, obviously, although that's basically impossible to do. So I don't ding him for it. I do ding him for not completing the job on the the wide receiver group however um uh like I, I just don't think he he got enough playable guys and it more or less necessitated him playing travis hunter both ways and i was like this is unsustainable and it creates a catastrophic situation um if he gets injured and and we're there <laughs> yeah which like i don't it doesn't make me happy like I, it makes me feel really sick to my stomach that i this was you know that 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 such a prediction uh came true um but like it's that that is also my job um and that's where they're at so yeah um the 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 and, and yeah, so anyway, like the, my, my article goes into, into quite a bit of detail schematically about the marriage between Sean Lewis's vertically oriented passing game and uh, Jackson State, where much of the rest of this uh, offense comes from their horizontally oriented passing game and why I think that's sort of a mismatch and um, and uh, and how sort of the, the Jackson State horizontal side won and that that makes it into a very methodical offense. I think there's sort of a weird, well, I, I, I think I understand where it comes from. There's a bit of a misconception that I have detected out there in the internet um, about this being a, a vertically oriented passing attack because some of the most spectacular plays that, you know, that are memorable and which show up, you know, in highlight reels or Twitter videos or whatever are, you know, vertical shots. They're from scrambles because he does that. Um, the, the, from the pocket stuff, which is of course the vast majority of plays it's horizontal. It's like all horizontal. 
Um, and it makes them a very methodical team. They are marching the field a lot. Um, it's really like throw it out to the perimeter stuff, which like kind of makes sense, you know, when you understand that their offensive line protections are so bad, like they're much stronger to, you know, to the edges than they are, you know, in the, in the middle of the formation. And like a lot of their passes are sort of an extension of the run game or a substitute of their run game. Um, like, like I sort of I understand why they run the offense that they do. It's just that it's for anybody out there who thinks, oh, this is a vertical passing game because I saw a couple of clips of them throwing it deep. And like, that's all I need to extrapolate. I'm here to tell you, like, you've got it wrong. You've got it backwards. Like um, one of the stats you'll see in my article, because I'm able to crack the numbers from charting every play is only 12 percent of their passes from the pocket. Uh, travel, uh, you know, including attempts that are incompletions, only 12% travel 20 plus air yards. Um, on the other hand, 62% uh, travel five yards or fewer or screen passes. You know, it's it's really just nothing but short stuff or almost entirely short stuff. Um, and, and, uh, and another, you know, point that I make in my article is actually, even though this team gives a ton of sacks, like they're actually last place in FBS in sacks allowed and in sack yardage allowed, um, the, because like when they take sacks, they're big sacks, like they, because like he, he's got to run backwards trying to escape from it. And then like the sack gets really big because it's not just like one guy. Cause like a lot of times when there's pocket breakdowns for a lot of teams, it's like one dude screwed up. And then the quarterback is able to sort of like spin out of it and then he starts running. But then like, oh, either like he scrambles and escapes from it or whatever, or he gets run down. But it's like a loss of one yard, you know, kind of like sack I'm talking about where he gets run oh, yeah. down from behind. But like, oh, he got tackled at the line of scrimmage or, or like one yard behind the line of scrimmage. So it was a sack for negative one yard. Well, with Colorado sacks, it's like three, four five dudes are getting beat. And so there's nowhere for Shadur Sanders to run. And so he's already dropped back as a shotgun passing offense. He's already dropped back like seven to 10 yards. And so now he's got like three dudes running at him and he's got nowhere to go. And so he like falls backwards and it's like sack loss of 10 yards, sack loss of 12 yards, sack loss of 14 yards, you know? And so that's, and so like you multiply the fact that they've taken like what are like 18 sacks multiplied by double digit losses every sack like yeah that's why they're leading the country in you know lost sack yardage um doesn't Shador Sanders have something like negative 60 rushing yards yeah it's yeah and well and that's the other factor is that it's for some reason I actually I think I know why but I'm I'm not going to say it out loud. Uh, you know, people have convinced themselves that like, oh, he must be a runner. He's not like he's he's not, which is which is part of the issue with their run games. They have a read option run game that doesn't make any sense. Like for, there's weird zone assignment issues, which are if you read my article, I will explain what I'm talking about there where the offensive linemen like seem to not understand basic concepts in zone blocking or like the way whoever was drawing up the run plays seems not to understand it, but that can't be true. They're being paid like six figure salaries. Um, and on top of that, like there's no RPO tags, which is strange. And on top of that, like Sanders isn't keeping the ball even on plays when he should, which either indicates he has no idea how to run a read option offense, which I can't believe is true. He's smarter than that. Uh, or more likely he's just under instructions never to keep the ball and run it which like makes a lot of sense because like he's the only quarterback in the room, which is what happens when you show up on campus and say, my son is the starting quarterback because like what other quarterback is going to tolerate that, you know, like they all transferred out immediately. Uh, so they have no backup quarterbacks. So like, yeah. Uh, so, you know, they don't have a run game for like seven different reasons. Um, yeah. And and when you don't have a run game, it like hurts you in a bunch of different ways, like, you know, not just the obvious way, like it's hard for you to sustain drives and it's hard for you to score in the red zone and it's hard for you to establish tempo, which is what Sean Lewis would do at Kent State, like he'd use the run game to establish tempo. It's like hard to do all those things, but it's also like 
it means that you got to like pass methodically a, a lot, which means you got to like you you got to march down the field and like 15 play drives. Well, those are like and because you're passing the ball on a three to one basis because you can't run like, well, guess what? If if you, you're passing the ball on a three to one basis and you got to go on 15 play drives in order to score, you just presented 12 opportunities for sacks. Or interceptions. Yeah, he's actually not throwing interceptions very much like uh he's he's pretty good at taking care of the ball um but he is throwing incompletions you know a lot it's you know sack scrambles and throwaways per drop back is 33 percent, which is very high um and uh and the other thing that i note in my article is that he's um he's not a he's not really a gunslinger and i say that in a in a positive way um like he doesn't take like wild risks with the ball he he's actually a very cool and calm customer um and and conservative in the sense of like he will he, like he doesn't take like high risk throws when something's going wrong instead he'll be like just check the ball down take what you can get um and actually it, it you know rather than like selling out to try to get a sack it's actually a more optimal solution to play a, like a lane discipline conservative pass rush drop you know six seven maybe eight guys into coverage and try to get them to throw the check down and then just tackle the check down for a tackle for loss because guess what if you if you keep number one, if you prevent them from scrambling, then you take away their best weapon, which is Shadur Sanders making a play, an improvised play out of the pocket, which, as I demonstrated, is their the, the best form of offense that they had. Number one. And number two, like if you get them to check down, which is a very easy thing to induce, um, and then you tackle the check down for a loss, like, guess what happens? The same thing as a sack. You've induced a negative yardage play. Like, so do that. Just do that. Um, it's actually the optimal thing to do. Um, like, sacks are really dramatic, and they get everybody really excited. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, we'll certainly be excited on Saturday. We'll, we'll see how this uh, stripe out works out for them. I guess. And then on defense, I don't know. It's sort of, we saved it. We didn't really talk about it much, but like, it's not good. Uh, I don't know. The, the weird thing about the defense is, is that I was all excited about because like Charles Kelly, who Oregon has played before, he was the defensive coordinator for Florida State when Oregon played them in the Rose Bowl. So I've studied him before and he ran his own defense there. Um, but then he stopped running that defense. Um, and he got, uh, he, he's been Alabama's, um, like safeties coach for the last four years. And he picked up their mint defensive structure, which is what Oregon runs. And so in the spring game, they were running the mint and I was like, yeah, it's another mint team. And so I was like, you know, my, my, my summer preview of Colorado, like got very deep into like the specific, this guy's the nose and this guy's the four eye and this guy's the five tech and this guy's the OLP. And like, I had it all plotted out well and i thought that sanders had done a really good job of getting all of the dudes that he needed in order to rotate and i was going on podcasts and telling people that like their defensive front is better than you think it is like he actually really filled this out better than just about any pac-12 team did you know with their defensive um uh, uh uh front and like look out this this could actually be pretty good well you made me look foolish um I'm not resentful about that. It's just a fact that I look foolish now. Um, uh, and the reason is, n number one, um, two different dudes uh, who I was expecting to be on the team were late departures just before fall camp. They decided to leave. So of the eight dudes that I expected to be in the interior defensive line, two of them left. Um, two of them are not really playing. I don't know why. Um, and one of them um, who I had penciled in as like a nose um, has lost a bunch of weight, like maybe 35 pounds. Like it's crazy. Like he he's down from maybe 300 pounds to maybe like 265. Um, so he's like not able to two gap anymore. They're still playing him and he's actually like technically not bad at all, but it's like they can't use him the way that they uh, they were. And like the in Charles Kelly has, I, I think. To his credit, they are no longer attempting to run the three down mint front without the personnel depth that they need in order to run a three down front. Instead, they are running a two down front. It's it looks like a two four five. Um, that is to his credit. He's not trying to force a square peg into a round hole. 
or try to play, you know, guys that he doesn't have. Um, what is not working is the two, four, five. Like they just don't have the beef to stop the run like at all. Like this is the same problem that like Cal and Stanford and Oregon state had for years where like, if you don't, if you're, you don't, you don't have enough beef to stop the run like at all. And teams just like run all over you. And so they're like, they're sub 30% in their rush defense efficiency. Like, and they're giving up more than 5.2 or 5.5 yards per carry adjusted. And like the clips in my article, it's just, it's pathetic. Um, and like the way that they're trying to make up for their total lack of beef up front is linebacker aggression. And they have some aggressive linebackers and like sometimes that works out for them, but a lot of times it doesn't, you know, like the linebackers just, they have to guess. And if they guess wrong, like, uh Oh yeah, <laughs> there, there are five different backs on the Oregon team that if you miss that initial tackle, they're 15 yards downfield. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, yeah, you know, and, and that's just the rush defense. Like, you know, the, 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 the past defense, well, I mean, it sucks cause they, I mean, it, it's not just Hunter that they lost, although that really sucks, you know, it's their cornerback, but also they lost their best safety miles slusher, you know, at the end of the first game. Um, and they're, uh, you know, they, they had to replace Hunter with, uh, uh, and they've had a bunch of other injuries in the cornerback room too, to the point where they're playing you, what their, their other cornerback, uh, Cooper is not bad, but you need two cornerbacks and the guy they're, they're down to one other cornerback that they can play. His name is breed love. He comes from old miss. And actually I study old miss cause I was watching Tysheem Johnson's tape and like, I never saw breed love. Like he basically didn't play for him for, for Ole Miss. This is like the first time he's playing. Um, and like he got beat a lot by Colorado state in the second half. Um, and uh, that sucks that Colorado State was doing that to him because Colorado State took out Travis Hunter with a cheap shot. Like, Colorado State should not have been able to cheat their way to uh, to passing success, but that's what they did. Um, uh, that's I mean, that, that really sucks, um, but it's what the situation is. Um, and then on top of that, just their safeties and linebackers can't cover. They really can't. Like, um, And so if their pass rush isn't getting home and their pass rush is kind of hit or miss, like they they they, they 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 do okay like about half the time, but then the other half of the time they don't. Um, and and uh, uh, if they don't and you're passing over the middle against their safeties and linebackers, just like you can have whatever you want. Like there's giant holes in the middle of their defense. Um, like Colorado State ran like a dozen crossing routes against them and they uh, they succeeded on like, like 85% of them because um, like they, they just can't cover them. Um, it was bad. It was bad. Uh, so yeah, like their defense just oh, can't stop anything. Uh, the, like the end, like, uh, I don't know. Read my article. I guess we'll recap the entire thing in this podcast. Uh, but <laughs> my article has video clips and statistics, you know, and, and goes into greater depth. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> the, the other thing to think about is this is, you know, this Colorado has their pass rush has not been great and they're going up an Oregon offensive line that despite its struggles in a lot of ways has only given up yeah. one sack so far this year. This is true. It's their, their Colorado's, I guess I'll say this about their pass rush. It is true that it is not generating numbers, you know, like, like sacks. That is true. Um, but watching them on film and it is also true watching them on film on like half of plays, they're just not getting anything done at all. There's just playing patty cake. But if you read my article and you watch the clips, you will see unlike the other half of plays like, yeah, they're not getting sacks, but they are they are affecting the play. You know, like they're 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 pass rush guys like Dominic in particular, number 44 um, is like. Yeah, he's he's getting some stuff done about half the time. You know, he's he's no joke. Like, you know, and like now, how will Oregon's offensive tackles who basically not been bothered by anybody all year long, uh, you know, hold up to him? I would expect probably pretty well. Um, I'm just saying that like, hey, you know, I, I've just always kind of had a 
bug up my ass about people who look at, you know, well, sacks are the only stat that matters or the only way that you should be evaluating pass rush performance. I, so I don't like that. I just instantly got irritated there. Uh, sorry. Uh, That's fine. <laughs> um, uh, but like, yes, I, I mean, ultimately, though, uh, even though I got irritated, I, your point is probably a spot on, you know, like I, I don't really expect that Oregon's going to have much difficulty um, with with uh, Colorado's pass rush. Um, and I expect that Oregon um, will be able to 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 do fairly well in their passing game against the middle of the field and against uh, um, the guy who's going to have to play in, in replacement of Hunter, you know, not not that that's particularly fair uh you know it doesn't make me real happy that oregon will have that advantage but um but i mean it you know what are you supposed to do play with a hand tied behind your back in order to honor that like i don't you know it 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 is what it is uh yeah so like you know oregon should basically be able to to score a lot of points in this game and and so when you say if it's within 14 points with hunter out like that means that that like you know oregon really screwed up and isn't as good of a team as uh they they ought to be uh like yes that's true like that's absolutely true and when vegas hits the line at 21 like again barring silly stuff like which, you know, I can't, you know, and other factors that I like, I can't predict the impact of McCaskill because I haven't seen him at all. I can't predict silly stuff. Uh, you know, I, I can't predict, you know, injuries that may happen during the game um, or, you know, there, there's a host. It's football. It's played with a funny shaped ball by kids who are 19 years old. Like there's a host of stuff that I can't predict. But from structural factors that I am able to study, like. 21 points is an appropriate spread for this game. All right. All right. I think that'll do it for us this week. Uh, you got any parting words of wisdom for us, Kevin? Uh, kid out there, wear your appropriate colors. Go Ducks. Uh, sounds good to me. Uh, weather should be holding up for uh, the stripe out, so you shouldn't have to wear your uh, 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 rain slickers over your stripe out gear. But of course, it never rains on this podcast. <laughs>